Acts chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had, yet not, had not yet come upon any of them, and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So we have Acts chapter 8 this morning. We're actually just continuing on from the previous chapter from last week. You may remember we read from Acts 6 and 7 about Stephen. And Stephen is a man filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God full of wisdom, and full of faith. And so we touched on that, the importance of being full of faith last week. Talked about, once again, the importance of being filled with the Spirit. And here we're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit as well. But we're going to focus and highlight on what God is doing in Samaria for the Samaritan people. Now, everyone here, I don't know if you put this together. It took me a long time when I was a teenager to understand that Samaria is where the Samaritans were. So I didn't equate the Good Samaritan with Samaria until I was embarrassingly old, probably Bible college. <laughs> uh, but hopefully you've put that together. And if you haven't, then you can understand that the Samaritan people were, were not likely to be the first ones that God chose to bring the gospel to, to bring the good news to, and yet that's exactly where God is calling these disciples to go. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but um, as we continue on into the book of Acts more than just being filled with the Spirit, I'm going to take that as a foregone conclusion now at this point. We will touch on it just briefly, but um, we'll read this first part uh, of, we sorry, excuse me, have read the first part of Acts chapter 8, um, and this is kind of the aftermath of Stephen being martyred. And uh, once again, I want to highlight on a few things, and a few things that are just easy to overlook. And so 
Um, first of all, let's look right in this first verse. And the first verse actually starts with, and Saul approved of their killing of him. That's Saul approving of the killing, the martyring of Stephen. He was the one who held the coats, or the, the coats were at his feet when they martyred Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Uh, and then right after that, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So here we have something negative, something incredibly negative. Obviously, a lot of bad is happening to the church. And if we look at this and we make this the prototype for our church, we look at the 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 church in the book of Acts, and we go, well, we should model ourselves after the church in the book of Acts. They were incredibly successful. We should be doing church the way they did church, because this is the way God designed church from the very beginning. The very first Christian churches were incredibly successful, because here we are, billions of believers and thousands of years later, and the church has exploded to be the largest religious institution, obviously, in the world. And so what makes them successful? Well, a lot of people look to Acts 1.8, and we're going to talk about Acts 1.8, and receiving power from on high when we receive the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we'll be uh, his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A lot of people obviously look at Acts 2. Acts 2.42-47 to talks about what they did. Well, they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to certain things. And they met together with glad and sincere hearts. And they had fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. And so a lot of, we've preached, I've preached about that before. We've talked a lot about that, about doing those things. But what you won't read in any book, what you won't see any evangelist or great author, great Christian apologist or great Christian author standing up and shouting and proclaiming from the mountaintops is that the best thing for the church, the best thing that can happen to your church is for all of you to stop meeting together and to be scattered throughout the place that God is calling you to go. No one's going to stand up and say, what the church needs today is great persecution and a whole bunch of people dying for their faith. No one's going to stand up and proclaim that that's what's good for the church. I've read quite a few church, uh, books on church growth and church leadership None of them are proclaiming that we should do what Acts chapter 8 says we should do. Well, the fact is we can't do what Acts chapter 8... Acts chapter 8 is what happens to the church. What they do with that is what makes them successful. So this is kind of a, a secret that no one's going to write about, but what, hap what happens next is actually a good thing. What happens after Stephen is martyred is a good thing. We just don't see it as a good thing. So a great persecution broke out. Not good against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So let's just jump back to Acts chapter 1 once again, and I already recited it for you, but if we read Acts 1, 8 again, and I know this seems, I don't know what the word would be, pedantic maybe, but let's just read Acts 1, 8, what Jesus tells uh, the, the disciples, not just the 12, but uh, the 120 roughly who are gathered at Pentecost. He tells them in verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So just to recap, they're in Jerusalem. It makes sense that they'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria. So I just want to highlight on that for a minute. And then also, you will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now jump back into verse 1. Of chapter 8 and look at where God scatters them 
On that day, great on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and ultimately they were scattered to the ends of the earth. I love reading this, and, and, and it's easy to gloss over. Oh man, that's terrible. That's a bad thing that that happened to them. They all those people were persecuted, and Saul and all the other all the other really zealous people, all those religious people were chasing these Christians, putting them to death, throwing them in prison. None of the things that we talk about as a successful church. None of the things that we look at as Christians and go, this is the mark of success if we're being thrown in prison for our faith. This is the mark of success if we are being killed for our faith. We obviously, clearly, as in, in our human minds, we look at this as a bad thing. We look at persecution as a negative thing. And it's not good. It's not easy. It's not desirable. No one wants to go through persecution. And yet we see very clearly here the principle that God is able to take something incredibly negative. And trust me, it was incredibly negative. No one going through the situation thought, this is exactly what we need to be thrown in prison. All of our leaders spread out. Our church not gathering together because we're all evacuating, running away from the people who are chasing us. And so as we jump ahead into Acts 8 from Acts 1-8, where God says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is fulfilling his grand purpose. He promises them the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And you can read all about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then they start spreading the gospel. Peter stands up once again in Acts chapter 2 and preaches this incredible, miraculous sermon. I mean, really a remarkable sermon and thousands and thousands of people are joining the early Christian church. Everything's going well. That's what we like to model. We want all of that. But what really spreads the gospel from that point forward is not great music. It's not great preachers. It's not even signs and wonders and miracles. Really, as persecution drives these Christian believers to all Judea and Samaria, God is fulfilling the promise and the prophecy of Acts 1-8 and says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And for those that weren't going yet, perhaps that persecution was that gentle nudge they needed to go and do what God had told them to do. God is taking this incredibly negative thing and he's making a positive. All, how many times throughout scripture do we read scripture and God takes something bad, something negative, and he uses it for his purposes, for his glory? Look at what happens with Mary and Joseph. Do you think Mary wanted to pack up and do a census and have to go to Joseph's homeland, to Bethlehem? think Mary wanted to be nine months pregnant and, and plodding along with their donkey and whatever possessions they needed to bring with them to in order to survive. This is not their plan. This is God's plan. God is able to take the, the negative situation, something bad that's going on in their lives, and use it for his ultimate glory and his ultimate purposes. And so what happens next is God starts moving when we go on and we see Philip. Philip is incredibly successful in what he does. Does Philip go to Samaria because God calls him to? Or does Philip go to Samaria because he has to? Because he's running away from persecution. 
The church being scattered seems like a negative thing, and yet in this instance, it's exactly what God's plan was. God is able to use your adversity, your pain, and your struggle, even your persecution and oppression. He's able to use your embarrassment and your embarrassing stories of sharing the gospel. He's able to use all of that for his good and his glory. We just don't always see it. And so as we read scripture and we go and we gloss over and we go, oh yeah, they were spread throughout Judea and Samaria. We're not thinking of Acts 1.8, but we need to be. We need to look at that and go, wow, God used this persecution to send them to the ends of where they needed to go for his purposes. And even the persecution was a good thing. Even the persecution weeded out those who were lukewarm in their faith. Even that persecution strengthened their resolve in sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. It didn't slow them down. If anything, it sped them up. We're seeing this in places like China right now where oppression and systematic persecution of Christians and Christian churches and throwing Christians in prison is not slowing down the church growth, not one bit. If anything, it's accelerating it. And so we, we, we don't like to face persecution. We don't like to face trials and adversity. We don't like to face opposition. And yet oftentimes, not only can God make some good out of it, it's God's purpose. It's not that God forces us to go through difficult times. It's that God regularly uses our difficult times to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our resolve for him, to give us opportunities that we would not have otherwise perhaps we need to consider for a moment that perhaps all those believers who were in Jerusalem thought someone else should go to the rest of Judea and Samaria. After all, when God says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, maybe all those believers in Jerusalem thought, I'm glad for that, but someone else should go. That's good. I'm in Jerusalem. That's perfect. I can be Jesus's witnesses in Jerusalem. And then they look to their neighbor and the neighbor's like, yeah, I'm, I'm staying in Jerusalem. What about you? No, no, I'm, I live here. I'm comfortable. You know, I, I can't just uproot and leave my career. I've got RRSPs. Okay. I, I, you know, I'm comfortable. I've got a mortgage. I don't, I, I can't leave right now. I'm just, I, I'll be, I don't get me wrong. I'm going to be his witness in Jerusalem, but I'm not going to Judea. I'm not, I'm certainly not going with all those Samaritans to Samaria. That's not where God called me. God called me to my really comfortable position here, and maybe I'll get the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of those people just needed that shove, that nudge, that push, that direction to bring them out of their comfort zone and say, well, I guess I'm called to Judea and Samaria because I'm not in Jerusalem anymore. I couldn't stay there or my whole family would have been tortured and thrown into prison. That's not a good thing. I don't think any of us is pointing that and saying we should be seeking out persecution. We should be trying to be hated for our faith. We should be, we really should be trying to be thrown in prison. That's not what the word of God is saying. But wherever God sends us, he is able to do something remarkable. Perhaps he's orchestrating something through our trials and our pain and our sorrow that we're not able to do for ourselves. He may be putting us in situations that we are not able to put ourselves into. Or maybe we're just not willing. 
In the midst of trials and pain and persecution and imprisonments, God is fulfilling the very promise he made to the church from the very start. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you won't go to Judea and Samaria, then I'm going to send you there. That's, I mean, that's that's... I, I often remark at what Scripture does and what it teaches us if we really dive into it. Maybe God knows what he's doing when he allows difficulty into our lives. When he allows painful situations into our lives, we like to think that that's, you know, that must just be Satan. God doesn't want anything bad to happen. It's so much more complicated than just God good, Satan bad. I mean, yeah, obviously that's true. But bad situations don't have to have bad outcomes. Negative circumstances don't have to necessitate negative responses. Because look at what happens next, and we're going to look into uh, what the believers do and what Philip does. If we jump into verse 4, excuse me, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's a really short verse and a really big lesson. It's an easy verse to read and a difficult verse to live out. Those who had been scattered, what they did was they preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. That great joy that came to that city in Samaria could not have happened without the great pain of persecution and oppression and being driven out of Jerusalem. God is accomplishing his purposes, but we have a, we have a responsibility to play the hand that's dealt to us. I mean, we talk, you know, if you talk about Jin Rummy and whatever hand you're given, you all, you don't have choice over the cards you get, but you do have choice over how you play them. And when it comes to our life, we don't have choice over some of the, the hands we've been dealt. We've been dealt a pretty good hand if you live in North America. I know that much as far as providing physically. Maybe we've been dealt a more difficult hand, spiritually speaking, living in North America. But whatever hand we've been dealt, whatever we've been given, whatever talents, if you will, if you look at the parable of the talents, whether we've been given one talent or five ta- or three talents or ten talents, Whatever we have been given, we have a responsibility to steward what we've been given. And that's, that goes for every part of life. That goes for our time. It goes for our resources. It goes for our finances. It goes for our influence, our friendships. It goes through every part of our lives. And certainly when it comes to adversity and trials and persecution and difficulty in our lives, when we're dealt that, that's what we have. And we have a responsibility in that. Our responsibility is not all that much different than the responsibility of the early church. We're called in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. That's our commission, our calling, our purpose. And in wherever we are going, we are called to do what the early church does right here in verse 4, which is to preach the word wherever we go. If God calls us to a new place, God calls us to preach the word wherever we go. Not just if we're pastors. Understand. For me, it's I say, well, I'm going to preach the word wherever I go. Yeah, because I'm a pastor. That's easy. Am I preaching with my life? That's the real question. <laughs> 
Am I preaching when I leave the walls of this church? Because it's easy to get together and talk Christianese when we get into the church building on Sunday mornings. It's much more difficult to live out our faith on Mondays and Tuesdays. To live it out when we're in the throes of this world and the difficulty we face and the opposition we face and with a lot of unbelievers around us. God is sending his people where he told them he would send them and thankfully they were obedient to his call and did what he called them to do. They were quite literally his witnesses in all Judea and Samaria because that's where he scattered them to. All those believers, it, understand it doesn't say, it's not just talking about Philip here. It moves on to talk about Philip to, to set up the story with Simon the sorcerer. But, but what, what's, what they're really focusing on here is not just Philip. Understand, those who had been scattered, it doesn't say Philip, when he was scattered, preached the word wherever he went. It says, all those who had been scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. And an example of all those was Philip. He was one of them. He was not the only one. It's just that this is the, who the story is about. But it's not just the pastors, not just the deacons. It's not just the evangelists who are called to preach the word. All of those who were scattered were preaching the word of God. They got down to exactly what the Holy Spirit had told them to do. May that always be a lesson for us that no matter what situation we are in, God is able to use it to bring about his purposes and his plan. He's able to use us to speak life into people as we go through difficulties and trials together, as we share the burden of grief and sorrow with our neighbors we're able to cast hope into their lives. As we go through life with people who do not have faith in Jesus Christ, we're able to show them the joy that comes from faith in Jesus Christ, the purpose and meaning that our lives are filled with. We're able to share with them the healing that God brings into our lives. That's really what what, what's happening here, Philip is praying and laying hands on people, and demons are being loosed out of people. They're being set free from oppression to the demonic, and they're experiencing healings. They're experiencing paralyzed people walking again. They're experiencing blind people seeing again and deaf people hearing again. They're experiencing the miracle of wholeness in bodies, and that still can happen today. And that's still meant to share, but only if we're doing what God has called us to do. Only if we are preaching the word of God regularly. Not just with our words, but with our lives. Only if we are filled with faith. Filled with faith. Not just, oh yeah, I have faith, but full of it. Full of faith. And then by that, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit being full of wisdom then by that. And we talked about all this last week, but being filled with wisdom to know when to speak and when not to speak, to know what's right, what the right choice is in every circumstance, all of those things. The Spirit has empowered these people to rejoice despite their circumstances. The Holy Spirit has empowered them to do what's good and right in the face of persecution. And the Holy Spirit has empowered them to continue to bring the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they were scattered to. These people were not missionaries who saved up a bunch of money to go on a short-term missions trip. They fled their homes in fear for their lives. And even in the midst of that, it says they preached the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they went. I mean, if they can do it then, with the fear knowing that Saul's right behind them, 
breathing threats at them, which still comes after this, if they if they are faithful to their calling, we also must be faithful to the calling God has placed in our lives. May we be a people who preach the word of God wherever he sends us, wherever God sends us. That only comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about what it means again, being filled with the Spirit. How does that happen? In verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had yet not yet come upon any of them and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit only comes by prayer. Once again, we've, we've talked about this before. But receiving the Holy Spirit comes from prayer. It's what the 120 were doing on the day of Pentecost when they were first initially baptized in the Holy Spirit. Those 120 people were baptized in the Holy Spirit because they were devoted to prayer. And the Holy Spirit came upon them when they were in prayer together. And once again here we have an example of them being in prayer, seeking the Holy Spirit. Again, I need to just briefly highlight Peter and John are ministering in Jerusalem, again being Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem where God has called them to be. And now God's sending them to Samaria where the Holy Spirit is empowering people to be his witnesses in Samaria as well. And so God sends Peter and John to Samaria under very different circumstances from the believers from Philip, for example, who is already there and the other believers who are already there. Peter and John just go. They're not persecuted. I mean, they're, they're the only ones who still are remaining in Jerusalem. They're still fulfilling God's purposes. And God calls them in a very different way to Samaria. Not through persecution, not through pain, not through sorrow, but actually through great rejoicing. Because they hear word that the Samaritans are believing in Jesus Christ. And so they go, they pack up their stuff, and they are those short-term missionaries. They pack up and they head on over to Samaria. Both are ways that God works. It's just a mini lesson here, but it, both are ways that God works because just because the method is different doesn't mean one of them is not from God. God calls both of these different groups to Samaria in very different ways, and yet both are being used by God. We can't put God in a box and try and contain the way that he works or the way that he sends people. So, continuing on, some receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. Others receive the Holy Spirit when they're praying together in one accord in Acts chapter 2. Others are baptized in the Spirit all on their own, and we've seen all different kinds of ways. But the common denominator between all of these differences is prayer. We cannot expect the presence of God in our lives without prayer. We can't. We can't expect to experience God in our lives if we are not willing to speak to Him and spend time with Him in prayer. We can't expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God unless we're committed and devoted to prayer. And so if you're not experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit, maybe there needs to be a deepening of that prayer life. If we want to be filled with the Spirit of God, it starts with prayer. Lastly, continuing on, in an interesting story here, we have Simon the sorcerer, and he's trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't think the Bible's funny, you should read this story. <laughs> this is where we get the phrase simony from. I don't know if you ever heard of the, you know, the, the act of simony, which is essentially trying to buy privilege in the church or trying to buy you know, religious authority or trying to buy the Holy Spirit. And it's not that common anymore today. 
uh, but it does still happen in different ways, in vague ways. And so um, continuing on into what happens, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, in verse 18, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Why does Simon do this? We look at this story and we think Simon is nuts. We, rightfully so, we think he's crazy. But really think about what Simon is seeing and what he's doing here. We have the background of knowing that he's he's uh, he's called Simon Mad Magus or Simon Magus. He's he's considered this magician or sorcerer who is casting spells or what, whatever he's doing. He's gaining influence because he's performing miracles, probably of the occult. He's probably uh, doing things that are demonic and we need to understand that just because something's successful does not mean it's from God. Just because something powerful happens does not mean that's the Holy Spirit of God working. But beyond that point, we see Simon and what he's asking here. He's, he offers them money and he wants what the disciples are doing. He wants to be able to lay hands on people and have them receive the Holy Spirit. Is that a bad thing? Of course not. I, I mean, Simon has the right end result. He has the wrong process to get there. But understand that what Simon is asking from his background is not that unusual. It's not because he's a crazy person. He's going back to the comfort of what it means to be a sorcerer, which is, if I can have this power, I'll, I'll pay for it. Because this is what he's known in his past, in his history, is I can, I can, I can learn this, I can learn these these spells or whatever, I can learn this, uh, I can receive this power, and, and it's worth any amount of money to me to be able to do this. He's falling back to what's comfortable and what he knows, which is sorcery, and God does not work by sorcery. It's not about money to God. And this is an important lesson about money, but it's about much more than that. We, obviously, we can't buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is trying to teach us that it's not about money, but rather about being free from money. God is not interested in our money. We, too many non-Christians have the idea that churches are greedy and money-grubbing and are just in it for the money. God is not interested in your wallet. He's interested in your heart. What the problem we have is when our heart is in our wallet. That's why it becomes an issue. It becomes an issue because money becomes more important to us than God, which is why it's, the Bible talks about money. It's why people are uncomfortable about money. It's why talking about tithing is so uncomfortable. Because you know what? Too often we place the importance not on God, but on our money. And for us, we might not, we might not buy, we might, we might not be trying to buy the Holy Spirit, just like Simon is. But we still have this kind of same mentality sometimes. God wants us to weed out that, uh, the idea that we can somehow earn the Holy Spirit. Not just by money, but by anything. The Holy Spirit doesn't come by church attendance. We can't earn the Holy Spirit by coming to church. We can't tithe our way into heaven. God, I remember, uh, I've told you this story before, but I worked with a guy who worked at Alcan, which meant that he made a lot of money. We were talking, and we were working night shift together, and we were talking uh, about the things of eternity, as one does when you're working in the middle of the night and you run out of the weather to talk about, I guess, in the Canucks. And so we were we were talking, and and uh, you know, I kind of asked him. I said, "What do you like? What do you believe? Are you Christian? Or are you Buddhist? Are you Muslim? You know?" He's a Catholic. I said, "Do you you know do you do you 
follow Jesus? Like, do you read the Bible? Do you go to church? And off. I'll get into heaven. I've given thousands to the church. <laughs> that was his idea. I this is I'm not exaggerating or joking. He believed that he had given so much money to the Catholic Church. And maybe it wasn't thousands, maybe it was hundreds of thousands. He'd given a lot of money. I believed him. <laughs> I, I really believed him. He wasn't living out his faith. He believed that I, you know, I'm generous with my money and I give to the church when they need money. I'm sure that's got to count for something. <laughs> people, a lot of people don't think that way, and that's a good thing. But you know what? They do think that way when it comes to doing good things, being a good person. How many people have you heard say the phrase, God wouldn't send me to hell, I'm a nice person. God wouldn't send me to hell, I'm a good person. I've earned my way, I'm nice, I'm good, I don't kill people, I'm not a rapist, I'm not a liar, I don't cheat people. You know how much that ignores the word of God that says all sin is punishable by death? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death? But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life. You can't buy that by being good. That's the very definition of a gift is that you didn't buy it. You can't buy any part of Christianity. That's the beautiful thing about it. It's not transactional. In fact, that's the very reason Jesus came. It's part of the reason Jesus came is because it had become transactional. If I purchase my sacrifice, if I atone for my sins, if I follow these rules, I can earn my relationship with God. And God says you don't have to earn a thing. You can't buy God's love, whether by money or by time or by coming to church and Bible study. You can't earn God's love by, by doing nice things, by giving your money away, you, by, by giving to the poor, by loving people. You, you can't earn. God is not interested in keeping attendance, thankfully. <laughs> God's not interested. I mean, yes, he wants us to be in church. His, the word commands us to not forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. But we're called to join together and, and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's important. But that's not how we earn salvation. It's not how we receive the Holy Spirit. The only way to experience God's presence in our lives is by spending time with Him. And it's just as simple as that. By the Word of God, by reading your Bible, and by praying, we can experience the very presence of God Unfortunately, too many make it transactional by saying, I have to get through this and I have to just do it so I can earn my ticket to heaven. It's really not, that, you know, for me, the saddest thing about Simon making the mistake is that the free gift he might have received is cheapened by him trying to purchase it, to bottle it, and likely to profit for himself, but maybe not. Maybe he had the right heart, I don't know. But he had an important lesson to learn, that, a lesson that we can learn from as well, that we can't earn our place in God's kingdom. There's nothing we've done to deserve it. And it's not just from being a nice person or being good or coming to church or any other thing. But rather, it's just from time in his presence, spending time in prayer and being obedient to him, being obedient to his word and doing what it says, living out our faith in very real and practical ways. So as we, once again, as we have focused on being filled with the Spirit, I believe the reason the disciples are able to accomplish God's plan for them in Samaria 
is because they are filled with the Spirit. They are full of the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, those who went pray for them, and they're, the, the Samaritan believers are not filled with the Spirit right away. They're baptized in the name of Jesus, meaning water baptism, but they're not baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. That happens when Peter and John come later. And so the, those who are sent to Samaria, sent is, uh, you know, you're putting it nicely, those who are persecuted into Judea and Samaria, God is able to use what they're doing because they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God is able to accomplish great things and grow the church and fulfill that promise of Acts 1.8 to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria because they, they haven't been so distracted by the negative that they forget to do what God has called them to do wherever they're going. So let's be people who preach the word, the good news of Jesus, wherever we go, being filled with the Spirit as we devote ourselves to prayer and receiving the free gift of the Holy Spirit and His power to be His witnesses wherever He calls us, whatever He calls us to do, whatever situation He puts us in, He has a purpose for that and He can use it if we're obedient to Him in it. Let's pray.